Welcome back to On Call, a podcast from Amerisource Bergen, where we discuss the latest industry information relevant to our GPO member practices. In this episode, we are joined with Dr. David Braxton, Chief of Service for Molecular Pathology at Hoag Hospital and Amgen, to talk about biomarker testing in non-small cell lung cancer, including challenges, the documentation process, and application of plasma-based testing. Over the past decade, biomarker testing has taken on a great significance in non-small cell lung cancer. With the rapidly increasing number of actionable biomarkers, comprehensive testing has become crucial. This is Dr. Olivia Wasif from Amgen, and joining me to share perspectives on some challenges and best practices in incorporating biomarker testing to deliver precision medicine in non-small cell lung cancer is Dr. David Braxton, Chief of Service for Molecular Pathology at Hoag Hospital. Dr. Braxton is partnering with Amgen to participate in this program. Dr. Braxton, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Olivia. As we know, one of the major challenges associated with biomarker testing in non-small cell lung cancer is the turnaround time for biomarker test results. This can be experienced in both the academic and the community settings. Dr. Braxton, in your experience, what are some considerations to overcome this challenge? Well, there's a lot of considerations because biomarker testing uh, of cancer patients is very complex. So in my experience, what's been successful is actually decreasing the complexity by standardization. So it's important to have standardized patient criteria for who needs biomarker testing, what kinds of biomarkers they need testing for, and how you go about delivering those results to patients. So in our institution, we've implemented pathologist-initiated reflex testing protocols where the pathologist has taken over the responsibility for identifying the patients and their specimens that need biomarker testing. We initiate the orders and can oversee the whole testing process from the time of diagnosis and through uh, the completion of uh, genomic test results. It's also very important to keep in mind that providing comprehensive NGS-based testing, especially for non-small cell lung patients, is important. It helps reduce turnaround time. It helps the comprehensiveness and completeness of the biomarker testing results. And you're also avoiding getting into a situation where serial testing or cascade testing is needed. They, you wait for them to come back negative, and then you order another test. In our experience, that's just been not been very efficient, not been very effective, and actually increases the cost to our patients. So what pathologist-initiated reflex testing really does, it in- decreases your turnaround time. Patients don't necessarily have to see an oncologist before that order is initiated. It also conserves the amount of tissues that's being used by biomarker testing. And more importantly, it enables standardization where you're going to get a very high quality, comprehensive biomarker testing result all in one report where even some of these laboratories are now providing treatment guidelines, treatment matching based on those uh, comprehensive biomarker reports. Another important aspect of biomarker testing is your Q&S rates. That's quality or quantity insufficient. And that's where you cannot establish a full complement of biomarker testing results based on one specimen. So that's actually very troublesome for patients because they don't get the results and it really lengthens their turnaround time for care initiation. And what are some tactics to help reduce the quantity or quality insufficient? 
Yeah, there's a number of different manners in which you can handle these specimens from a pathology laboratory standpoint to reduce your Q&S rates. And from my experience talking to other best practice sites, we've been able to implement a number of these and they've been successful in reducing Q&S rates. Some of these would include pre-cutting your core needle biopsies or your other small specimens. The IHC slides that we use for you know, immunohistochemistries, uh, you can pre-cut those out of your tissue blocks and that preserves tissue for later molecular studies. The pathologist has these pre-cut slides to initiate any immunohistochemical workup that's needed. That preserves the tissue block for later testing and molecular results. Another pathology-centric way of handling QNS rates is actually splitting specimens. If you have a number of core needle biopsies, you can utilize two different tissue blocks. You don't have to put all the cores into one FFPE block, and that allows you two different sort of pools of tissue to work on either immunohistochemistry or molecular testing or any other testing that the patient needs. So another important aspect to reduce QNS rates is actually sending multiple blocks up front to your laboratories. Historical procedures may be needed. We'll often send multiple specimens up front. So it's important to get all the tissue that you have with cancer in it on that patient to your laboratories so that they can have enough tissue to provide a comprehensive NGS report. Also, rapid on-site evaluation can help reduce your Q&S rate and establish better turnaround time. If you're having problems at your institution with Q&S rates, uh, establishing a ROSE program with your pathologists and your interventionalists working together to ensure that the specimen obtained from your patient is satisfactory for all testing, that can be important not just for the rapport between your to clinical departments, but for also helping that patient get an adequate specimen, not just for diagnostics, but for additional biomarker testing. Well, these are great practices to consider. Now, as biomarker test results are received, there comes another variable, which is the documentation of these results for the multidisciplinary team reference, as well as for future use as needed. This has also been noted as a barrier due to a lack of a standardized process for storing biomarker test results. Dr. Braxton, what are processes do you have in place at your institution to document and integrate precision medicine information for easy access of results at diagnosis and upon progression? That's a great question, and this has been something that I've put forth a great bit of effort into figuring out because it's so important to get these results into the EHR and make use out of them for your clinical care. Some of these biomarker testing results can be uh, very lengthy reports, often provided in PDF form. A single patient's tumor can have hundreds of mutations in them. And the EHRs right now, at least in many community centers, are just not structured to handle this kind of information. So some of the approaches to take for incorporating molecular testing results into your EHR would be to uh, append that information into your surgical pathology report. So have your transcriptionist transcribe the molecular testing results, or at least the summary of those results into your surgical pathology reports and addend your surgical reports there. If you're not going to provide that level of detail, you can also just addend or append your PDF results into the EHR. Oftentimes that's very useful. You can see the whole report by clicking a link or something like that. A development that we're seeing more utility for is incorporating structured results into the EHR. Now that can be accomplished through a number of third-party softwares. What this allows you to do is drive all your search and query 
on your molecular results. It allows you to do QA on your molecular testing programs. And it's just very useful to have all of the information at your fingertips when you can get it in structured format. Some important developments that are going on along those lines is, of course, the use of decision support tools, artificial intelligence, and we're really seeing these kinds of applications of cancer informatics becoming much more valuable for patients. Now, speaking about testing and availability of results, a diagnosis, and upon progression, there are several reasons why tissue may be limited in non-small cell lung cancer and rebiopsies may not always be feasible. In such situation, liquid biopsy can be a solution. Dr. Braxton, what has been the application of liquid biopsy or plasma-based testing in your institution? Liquid biopsy is extremely exciting, and we're seeing broad applications in cancer patients uh, along many different cancer types with liquid biopsy. Some of the uses of liquid biopsy would be to avoid testing failures when your somatic tissues do not produce biomarker testing results. And we've seen a number of different paradigms uh, arise uh, to facilitate testing in these situations. One of the approaches that has developed and we've seen applied in some other institutions would be sequential approach where the tumor tissue may be inadequate and then a liquid biopsy circulating free DNA would be gathered to supply that patient with a genotyping result for predictive biomarker testing. Another approach would be complementary in which you're gaining access to a solid tissue tumor biopsy as well as a tube of blood for liquid biopsy testing at the same time. Uh, so this concurrent testing of both the tumor and the blood can often yield a liquid biopsy result several days, maybe even a week sooner than the tissue results would be available. Another approach would be the plasma-first approach. So once you establish a histologic diagnosis of uh, non-small cell lung cancer, you move straight into liquid biopsy testing. You're going to gain access to the patient's blood biomarkers much sooner than you would having sent out a tumor tissue specimen to a, a somatic testing laboratory. So that can provide actionable results uh, sometimes days or weeks sooner than waiting for that tumor testing to come back. If you do not get a actionable biomarker out of the blood, you can move into testing the tumor at that point in time. It's great to see this broad utility of liquid biopsy. Are there any considerations to keep in mind when utilizing plasma-based testing? Absolutely. We're really just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of liquid biopsies. So there are a number of different pitfalls that we're observing across that spectrum of testing. Some of it is where there's very low levels of what appear to be actionable mutations, but may be very uncommon in that particular tumor type that you know the patient has. Another pitfall is clonal hematopoiesis, where you're picking up mutations in the liquid biopsies that don't come from the tumor that you're trying to treat. Uh, it's In this case, it would be the blood-forming stem cells in the bone marrow that have mutations in them that can sometimes look like actionable mutations when you're on liquid biopsy. So we're observing uh, a number of different issues with liquid biopsies. And again, outside of uh, very strong clinical guidelines, it can be very difficult to understand what to do for your patients in these situations. Well, this was a really great discussion, Dr. Braxton. And on behalf of Amgen, thank you for taking the time to reflect on biomarker testing in non-small cell lung cancer. Your willingness to share your best practices helps in improving patient care. So thank you so much. Thanks, Olivia. My pleasure. That's all for this episode of On Call. Subscribe to our channel to get notified when more episodes drop. 
If you have any questions for today's guests or have a topic you'd like to learn more about, email us at oncallgpo at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and thanks for listening.